Welcome back to the Think Deeper podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Jack Wilkie, joined by Will Harib and Joe Wilkie. We're going to continue on our conversation that we started last week where we're kind of focusing on the idea of goals, resolution, growth. And so on the second half of this episode, we're going to look at it from the angle of, of Scripture, of our, our walk with God, and uh, avoiding maybe some pitfalls, but also then get into some practicals, some uh, areas in which we can all stand to grow and, and learn and, and gain things, and then uh, maybe some practical tips, things we've learned along the way on, on our uh, quest to grow and, and, and self-improve and all these things as well. We've got a little bit of an outline we're going off of, so I'm going to jump ahead uh, into this one. We'll come back around to, to some of the scriptures I, I want to get to, but making sure we understand this properly. Um it's something I've I've kind of struggled with my whole life of the idea of achievement being how you get God's attention, how you get God's love, whatever else. And and if I'm not growing, if I'm not setting goals, if I'm not doing you know X, Y, or Z, then I can't be uh, you know okay. I can't be. Uh, I can't just kind of have that base of God's love. And so it's important to uh, avoid the trap of justifying ourselves by our works and by our achievements. Um, you know, we don't want to be the, the Pharisee standing before God saying, you know, God, I'm not like this other man who didn't set any goals, you know, and, and look, I did this and I did this and I learned this and I've grown in this way and I did this and hey, look, I evangelized somebody. So we're cool, right, God? We have to understand, you know, Romans 5, 8 is, is such a key to everything in the Christian life of while we were yet sinners, it, God loved us at rock bottom at zero value he loved us enough that Jesus died for us, you know, and, and so you have to really, really sit with that idea first before you get caught up in that idea of earning God's love. It was when we had zero ability to earn God's love, and so you don't want to put the cart before the horse, essentially, is what's happening here. You don't want to put works ahead of God's love. God's love leads the works, and that leads us to greater works that, you know, I am loved, I am a child of the sovereign king of the entire universe, um, I, I, I have his approval, you know, uh, really when you look at Jesus's baptism, uh, somebody, uh, made this in, in one of the things I was studying when I was uh, preaching on Mark chapter one, when Jesus comes out of the water, Jesus says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you have this idea that God gave us the righteousness of Christ or, you know, the righteousness of Jesus in him through his death, um, that, that we are just as cleansed, just as forgiven, just you know, or just as clean in God's eyes as, as Jesus, that if he is well-pleased in Jesus, then he's well-pleased in Jesus' church as well. He's well-pleased in me. And man, what a thought that is, that even in my struggles, even in my weaknesses, even in, in my inability to hit a goal sometimes or whatever else, I'm still loved. And so we've got to have the identity start there and you're starting with safety, you're starting with security, you're starting with confidence from God's love and using that to grow into greater works rather than using greater works to try and grow yourself into feeling the love of God. Right. And, and isn't that kind of the, the balance that we see in Scripture that absolutely has to be struck? The fact that you can swing too far in one direction as far as the like you're talking about the works. Well, let me, let me do everything that I can to show God how, how valuable I am to show him that I'm worthy uh, of my love. And, and we neglect passages like Ephesians two, eight through 10 that tell us it's not anything that we can do. It's not even within our own capabilities. We've been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. So we can swing too far in that direction. But then on the other hand, we can swing too far. We can swing the pen pendulum too far in the other direction and say, well, well, God's got me. I don't really have to do anything right. Got, you know, I've been saved through faith and we neglect the work side of things. Right. And so I think that's an important point to to illuminate the fact that there is a balance that is struck through scripture that we have to understand. You know, James chapter two, faith without works is dead. The works are not what gets us salvation, right? The works are not what earns us God's love. God's love was present, as you said, Jack, Romans 5, 8, when we were at our absolute lowest point possible, when we had absolutely no value, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love was there. That love should propel us to those good works. And that's what Ephesians 2, verse 10, the end of that section, mm -hmm. we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. 
You know, it, it's it's the workmanship of God. It's the love of God that should propel us to those good works. And it's a it's a balance that is difficult for some to strike for sure. And it's the gratitude that he puts it again, Ephesians 2.10. He's putting these things in our path for us to walk in them. The good things we're able to do, all the goals we're able to set, it's because he's put them in our path. He's given us the ability to do them. So that gratitude is is underneath it. And with gratitude is love. And you think about when your wife loves you, when your spouse loves you, doesn't that make you want to serve them, bring them home flowers, cook a meal for them, you know, whatever it is like when we do amazing things for our spouse, it's not out of like me. And I hope, I hope this will earn her love. Like, no, I think when we committed ourselves together on, on the day of our marriage, that we committed ourselves to love each other for better and for worse. And out of that love comes a desire to serve her and, and to give her the very best, my very best as much as possible. Yes, I fall short. I'm not always there, but at the same time, it's out of the love. And that's like the closest thing I think we can understand God's love for us. Um, which again also goes back to there's a lot of study in Genesis two and three that I think are interesting, but um, for how God kind of calls us and such with marriage though, this is exactly what we're talking about. The love that we have for one another ought to spur us on to be better for each other, ought to spur us on to set goals in our marriage as well because of love, not so that we will attain love, but we, again, I do think that we do the opposite with God of, I just, I need him to accept me. And if I'm not growing, if I'm not being the best I can be, he won't accept me. And I would specifically say, this is kind of a problem in the churches of Christ of, we don't fully understand grace. And we also make it hinged on like, if you ever sin, then God basically doesn't love you. You're going to hell or well, God does love you. Yes. But you know, you've got to be at your very best. Uh, We're not always going to be at our, at our very best, but it, it shouldn't be running away from something. It should be running towards something, right? We're running toward um, a greater, deeper relationship with a God who loves us beyond anything we can begin to fathom, not a God who is dissatisfied with us until we run toward him and get as close as possible. And then maybe just maybe he'll be satisfied with us. Um, that's, that's backwards. It's, and that's also very harmful to people on an evangelistic front, but also just to people in the church of our mindset toward God and our mindset of being better. If you're running away from something, you run out of juice, man, you're just tired. But if you set that goal, the race, right? Like you were talking about, well, the race. And we see that at the end of the race, we get to be with this God who has been cheering us, who is, who is every help that we have received along the way, the cups of water on the marathon. That's all God. Every path that he has laid out before us is all God. And we get to be with him at the end. How amazing is that? And so why would I not push to be the best I could be and run the race so as to obtain it instead of I'm running from the big bad monster of sin and guilt and shame. And man, if I can just outrun that and get to this safe haven, then maybe God will love me enough to save me. No, he's already saved you from that. You're not running from those things. You're running toward him. So I think that's also a big part of goals. And when we fizzle out on our goals, are you running toward something or are you running away from something? Are you running toward health or are you running away from being fat? Right? Are you are you running toward a greater relationship with God, or running away from, you know, being afraid that Satan's just going to suck you up and and you're dead, basically, you know, the moment you fall. So I think that also factors in not to take it off on something different, but our relationship with God has to be the foundation of like, man, He loves us, He's He cares for us, and out of that, I'm going to be the best I can be for Him. Well, and that takes away the the fear of failure we talked about earlier, you know, um, that because we have a fear of failure, we don't attempt that much. It's very easy to keep the goals small, to to keep growth small, to to not really even measure it maybe, because if we measure it, we might see that we've failed, we've come short or whatever else. Or as we talked about, you know, kind of the joking, ah, well, you know, I I failed, my Bible reading plan died in Leviticus, Uh, you know, like that's how it works. When when you have that foundation of love, you're not worried about failure. And that, you know, to bring back the parable of the talents thing again, that's exactly what happened with him. Remember, you know, he said, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were, you were uh, you, he was kind of afraid of him. I knew you were exacting, that, that you expected. And so I just gave you back what you gave me. Um, you know, and he was operating out of that fear, not the whole, hey, he's entrusted me with something. Let's do something cool. Let's go and try something. And, uh, the fact that he didn't go and do anything was the problem. And and so when we have that fear of failure that comes from not understanding the love of God, when you it comes from um, not 
understanding that, that we are safe in him. And when we talk about failure, we're not talking about falling into willful sin or anything like that, but just trying to grow, trying to be better, uh, and, and realizing it's going to be okay if I don't get there. And you know what, if I you know, tried something hard or if I set a goal and, and you know, maybe I can readjust or figure out maybe more what, what I can reach for and uh, all that, it's okay because without that failure, there's no growth. There is, uh, failure is essential to growth to realize, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not as strong as I was. You know, if, uh, to use a, a weights analogy, if you go out there and curl a five pound dumbbell every single day, you're going to get through that workout every single time for sure. Uh, you know, most of us, um, you know, if, if you're in your eighties or nineties doing a bunch of five pound reps might be challenging for the rest of us, you can do it. Uh, and, and so it's very easy to set. <laughs> I would those, hope so at least. Right, right. <laughs> Joe might struggle, but you know, um, <laughs> <Get it. laughs> um, but I'll be super toned. That's so. right. <laughs> um, but again, it's, it's keeping it simple, keeping it smooth, mediocrity, cruising, um, you got to try, you know, uh, the, the famous Teddy Roosevelt thing about, you know, it's not the critic, it's the man in the arena, you know, and, and daring greatly and, and taking things on, even if you fail, uh, you know, getting up and, and continuing on. But you can only have that attitude towards failure if you understand that you are safe in Christ, that you're loved by God, right. that, that it's all okay. And, and when we understand that, then we can try and be somebody better. We can try and grow. We can try and be more than who I am today with the realization that, man, if I try and it, it doesn't work out, I can get up and just do it again, and it's not a big deal. Well, and, and this circles back to kind of what we started the, the episode with in the sense of we've lowered the bar so much, so extensively to the point that you know, I, I work with young people uh, fairly regularly and you know, not that long ago, I was considered, you know, very much so a young person, you know, just left high school four years ago. Um, and what I've seen and what I've observed is I'm sure you two have as well, is that we've lowered the bar so much for our young people that if they show up to worship, we're happy, right? You know, parents are, are excited if their young people are, are showing up to worship and it's a bonus if they're going to Bible class and going to youth events and whatnot. And that's such a low bar that we've set. And then we wonder why we're losing people in the church every single year, right? Where we wonder why those same kids that we were feeling good about ourselves because they were at worship service or they were at Bible class. We wonder why they leave the faith in two years or they become incredibly watered down, you know, shallow Christians, so to speak. And I think that's a symptom. I think that that's part of the issue. Again, hence the point why we think that this is worth discussing because you continue to lower that bar, especially for, for people who are so impressionable as young people and for people that can do so much for the Lord's church, with that being young people, the, the energy that they have, the, the, the fact that they're still impressionable at that age, they could be doing so much for the Lord's church. But the fact that we've lowered the bar so much to me has added to this epidemic of losing people to the world of losing young people to the world going off to college and getting in with the wrong crowd and, or, or coming back from college and not really having any kind of zeal for Christ, any kind of zeal for the church. To me, that that's part of the, the issue with this idea of lowering the bar. We've lowered it so low that they leave the faith because we, we, we haven't pushed them. How many kids have parents to look up to that are constantly growing in Christ and constantly improving and being better. Um, being better in their marriages, being better, like the divorce, kids aren't even, the divorce statistics and rates are down because kids aren't getting married. Why? They look at their parents and go, well, I don't want to do that again. Right. So, so often parents are not really putting goals and, and, you know, asking the kids to be better, but then they're, the kids also aren't necessarily looking up to somebody who is, they see their, you know, their dad up at the table praying first thing in the morning before they go to school and see that Bible study is a huge part of things. And, and, you know, that they're constantly, they, they bring out biblical books to read at night and they're constantly talking about it and growing. And, and there's an expectation in the house of, I mean, we will be better in our relationship with Christ before, or, you know, by the, by this time next year, or even by this time next month, um, kids don't see that. So not only are they, I think your point's super valid of we're not, asking anything of them, but we're also not modeling anything for them of like this constant growth. We get into what I often call logistical marriages, which are like, and I'd say logistical lives. Did I go here on time? Did I do my work? Did we pick this up from the store? Did I get the kids from soccer practice? 
right? And instead of living with this vitality, with just this, this excitement about things, we're not always going to have that, but like, do our kids see that modeled as well? An excitement for God and that our worship is better next week. Is it you know better than it was this week? And a constant desire to be better for God. Again, rooted in love, rooted in love for our kids. We'll always love you, but we just ask that you try, right? Um, do they see that modeled for them and a deep love for God that will keep them coming back to the church, you know, long after they've gone off to college? I, I want to go to Will's point again, because uh, I think there was a, a really uh, important thing you said there that without those expectations, uh, it's no wonder that young people find purpose somewhere else. If church is just a place to go and get assurance or, or whatever else, but it God expects things of us. And, and I think this also goes heavily towards uh, a male-female split, which is something I wanted to talk about. I know Joe will have some insight on this from, uh, you know, therapy work and all that, but men especially need to achieve, need to conquer in some sense, I guess, for lack of a better, of a better term. Um, and if in church it's all very kind of emotional, it's very passive, it's it's that there's not much for them to do, it makes sense that, that they don't find a place of belonging in the church. That, that uh, I just got this book the other day, I was reading a little bit of it, uh, about how churches kind of don't know what to do with masculinity, and, and masculinity kind of has this, this need to grow and to accomplish and all that, and uh, you know, you can get into some of how widespread mental health is tied to some of this mediocrity stuff. If people don't have purpose in life, they don't know what they're doing, they don't have anything to try and accomplish or grow into or, or, or a challenge to take on, and, and when that happens, we just drift. We get that aimlessness that we talked about at the, the start of the episode, and so with that in mind, we have to really push this towards people of growth is important. Growth is part of, of what God expects from you, and, and you can do this. Um, I, I'm, I've told this story before. I don't know if on the podcast or not, but uh, I, I preached at a church for a while, and when I got there, everyone was using very, for lack of a better term, dumbed-down Bible versions, uh, ones that, that barely paraphrase the text. Um, but as far as for doing study, they were useless. They didn't have the words right. It didn't, you know, it, it just, it, it was no good. And I was uh, trying to figure out why do so many people here have this, this very cheapy Bible version? Uh, and what it was is that a previous preacher had told them, you know what, a lot of this is going to be over your head. Just get something really simple to read. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and people lived up to those expectations. They thought, well, okay, this is too hard for me to understand. And so when we got into some Bible study and, okay, well, look for this, look for that, it, it, you know, there was kind of a sense of, wait, I can do that. Well, of course you can. Yeah, but what are the expectations we put on others? What are the expectations we put on ourselves? And so um, it, it's important to have those expectations. It's important as a church, as you said, for young people. Man, they, they came to church this week. Bare minimum. That, you know, uh, and getting attendance out of people should be the bare minimum. As far as we think of with men, I think, you know, Joe got at a little bit. Lead your family. Show your family that, that having the Bible open in prayer is something that's going to, to be expected of you and, and going to take place. And, um, you know, really taking this by the horns and saying, I am going to be the man who does this. And I'm going to be the man that leads others to do this as well. So let's get into unless we go long on this, let's get into some brass taxes. What are some practical things that you guys think as we're thinking about goals, people are, you know, it's new year. We're excited about it. We want to set some goals, but we want to stay with it. Right. What are some things we can implement? I'm going to start it off here, but then I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, two things that come to mind quickly for me. First off is accountability. I think it's huge that it is not good for me to be alone. And that's in doing the work that we're called to do. Uh, we ought to be daring greatly. We ought to be doing amazing things, leading our families. But do you have somebody who's holding you accountable on that and who's asking you, hey, brother, how's it going? You know, have you been doing your Bible study, reading, um, exercise, whatever it may be, right? The financial goals. Um, that's been a big part of our growth, I think, over the last two years is just having you guys to get on with and not accountability. Let me make a quick aside. Accountability is not, hey, did you hit your goals this week? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Oh, bummer. All right. See you next week. It's brother. what happened? You know, we're sorry to hear that. What's going on? What happened? What kept you from the goals? How can we hit it again? This, how can we make sure to hit it this next week? So dig 
in a little bit, check in throughout the week. So I'd say accountability is, is certainly one of them. The other thing is um, don't set too many goals too soon. Uh, I, this is coming from personal experience of me just kind of being done with it of setting a bazillion goals for myself and realizing, man, I am spread way too thin. Um, I can't seem to hit all of these. And so just be smart with how you do your goals. I would say set some goals this year, um, get accountable on your goals, but make sure that they're not so wildly, um, you know, just fantastic. Like this would be incredible. I'm going to lose 20 pounds a week. Obviously nobody's going to do that, but something like that, just be cognizant of that. Um, and make sure the goals are actually attainable, but they're challenging. We're not looking to like the five pound weight thing. We're looking to, um, challenge ourselves, but also make sure that we're not going to burn out and go, I just can't hit them. No, you can, you just have seven goals, all of which are really, really difficult. Maybe scale it back to one or two and see how it goes. So that would be my advice. You don't have to take that, but as we get into, you know, how we might set goals, that might be my advice. And maybe you guys, I'm sure have some others and might be able to speak more to the longevity of don't just stop at six weeks, but what, what thoughts do you have? Well, let's go to that, that second point first, and we'll come back to the first, because that's really where I want to finish, is the, the sharing in this with each other. Uh, we've got a scripture I want to look at for that, or a couple of them. But on what you're saying of, of not having too many goals, I, I think it's important to always have spiritual growth in mind, uh, and so always have that as a baseline, whether it's a Bible reading plan, whether it's a study that we're trying to do, or a prayer um, uh habit that we're trying to form better or whatever else um always have that and then have something else that you're working on um in in your life to improve your life to improve the lives of those around you whatever else um you know we've we've had health goals whether it's working out or whether you know it's an eating thing of uh you know some of us have had okay i'm only gonna have dessert once a week or i'm, I'm just not gonna drink uh you know coke or dr pepper at all this week or whatever else um you know things like that help you that you you feel better you know it, it just there, there's improvement there uh and the discipline uh, you know it, it's been said that discipline is kind of like a muscle that you you grow and if you're using it too much like you said joe if you're just working out that same muscle every single day over and over and over and a million reps because you've got so many goals you burn out and then your 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 discipline fails and it falls through and so keep it simple keep it you know and you want to start stacking goals on each other. You know, get into a habit, you're doing pretty well on something, then you can add something else. You can grow in a different way. You know, if if you've got the daily Bible reading habit and, and you're really doing well on that, okay, excel still more, uh, as, as Paul would say. Find the next thing that you want to do. Um, you know, and, and not stretching yourself too thin. But, uh, again, health goals, um, you know, we might have goals for, for your work, your career, whatever else, the things that you want to get to, get done. Uh, it might be financial goals of saving, investing, um, different things like that. Um, we mentioned personal growth things, whether it, it, it's a hobby like learning an instrument or, you know, um, my wife, you know, she's real big on knitting things, um, getting to things like that, uh, reading books, um, you know, reading is so good for us, so much better for us than, than just watching things all the time or scrolling uh, our social media feed, things like that. There, there's a wide range of goals that, that we can choose from. And so that's kind of my advice on it is get a spiritual growth goal going uh, and, and accountability. will, As I said, we'll come back around to that point in a bit and then figure out one area of your life you want to improve on uh, and, and take the time to get it done. Um, it's not going to happen in a week. Uh, it might not happen in a month, but then build that one. And when you feel like you're, you're kind of got that one going, all right, then you, you can do something else. You can, um, get that to a place you're comfortable with and, and then move on to the next thing, but build, find different ways to grow. I mean, cause in this life, spiritually, we know we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to know all there is to know about God and his word. We're never going to, you know, have everything down perfectly. So keep growing uh, with the rest of our life, discipline and in, in different areas. We're never going to perfectly do everything. And so there's always going to be something, to, some room, some area to grow into. I completely agree with, with both of you. And in the two years that, that we as a group of friends have, have attempted to do this, we've learned several things, chief among them being the one that both Joe and Jack brought up. The fact that if, if, if you try to spread yourself too thin, you know, let's say you have five goals, the natural human tendency is let's say you have five weekly goals. If you fail one of them, you're going to be a lot more comfortable with yourself failing the other four. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, if you, if your goal is to not eat dessert for uh, an entire week, 
and it's Monday, you have dessert, you, your attitude is going to be, well, you know what? I've already failed. Let me just binge dessert for the rest of the week. Right. And so I think that is incredibly important. The fact that, you know, we talked a lot about not setting the bar too low, but at the same time, there is such a thing as setting the bar too high. And so um, I echo Jack in the sense that you always need to have something that you're doing to, to develop your spiritual growth, more time with God, more time in prayer, more time studying your Bible. So have something like that. Um, but also, as he said, have something that maybe you enjoy. Maybe you really enjoy reading. You just can't find the time for Maybe you really enjoy going outside on, and, and, and hiking, uh, exercising, whatever it is. But as far as something that, that they, neither one of them have discussed yet, right? Don't use that as an excuse to say, well, I've, these last two weeks have been really rough. I'm just going to stop with this, this goal stuff. Um, that's exactly what, especially when it comes to your spiritual life, that's exactly what Satan wants you to do is to say, you, you haven't studied your Bible in six days, keep it up. Right. And so that would be the thing that I'd recommend. If you have a, a period, a, a week, two weeks, a month where you just, you feel like you're not hitting your goals. You feel like you're not doing very well. That's okay. Start fresh Sunday, start fresh with the next week, start fresh with the next month. We've had to do that multiple, uh, multiple times. Um, and then the only other thing that I would say that I don't think has been mentioned yet is that what what you're trying to do, whether it be with Bible study, whether it be with exercise, whether it be with eating, whatever it is, you're trying to develop habits, right? We get so focused on the end result, whether if, if it's weight, uh, we get so focused on, you know, reaching a point where we've lost 30 pounds. We get so focused on, well, I want to be this good at X, Y, Z, that we kind of lose the process along the way, right? We lose the fact that if you're setting aside time to study your Bible and that's your goal, you're developing a habit. You're trying to develop a routine. You know, from a personal point of view, uh, that's been one of my goals over the last several months is that I'm going to set aside 30 minutes a day to exercise. And and the effort in that is, or the, the point behind that really is not that in, in a year I want to be this fit or this muscular or whatever. It's really that I want to make exercise a habit. I want to make 30 minutes of exercise a day to be one of my things that I have on my routine. And this exact same thing could be said with Bible study. You know, I want to spend 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day in Bible study and in prayer. Do you know how little of amount of, of time that really is in a day? If you're taking 20 minutes a day to spend in God's word, that's a third of an hour. That's not that much time at all. And, and that same thing can be said with exercise or whatever it is. And so just understand it's not all about the end result. Sure, the result is, is great, but it's the process as well. It's developing those habits, developing that routine that, you know, after after three months, after four months, you realize Bible study is now just a part of your day, right? Mm -hmm. Prayer, daily prayer and, and meditation is just a part of your day. Exercise for 30 minutes. You're not having to think twice about it. It's just a part of your day. And, and that's that's the goal, right? That's really the, the purpose behind it. And that's something we've discovered over the last two years is not to get so zeroed in and, and tunnel vision on the result that you lose the emphasis on the, the process. Right. Because even I'll admit, it, sometimes it feels weird. It feels stiff. It feels like doing too much to have written goals but you know there there is all that research about what is not measured you know doesn't happen what is not stated you know goals that you need to have it written out what you're trying to do and on the front end it, it does feel weird it does feel like you know wow i'm I, i'm very it, it feels very cold of writing out it's goals. awkward it's yeah. awkward yeah right. and it feels forced um yes the you need that on the front end because on the back end, the point is not to check boxes of hitting goals. It's kind of what you're getting at there, Will, of it's about becoming a different kind of person. Uh, it's about becoming somebody who makes sure Bible and prayer comes before your favorite TV show, before your time on Facebook or Twitter, before, you know, that that you're the kind of person where this matters to you. You said with fitness, you know, about being a healthier person, of somebody who just is cognizant of this and, and wants to live a certain way. And so the goal, it, it serves that purpose. The goal is not the purpose in itself. The goal is what gets you to that purpose. And so um, I want to get to something Joe brought up, uh, you know, about kind of the, the communal aspect of this, of sharing this with others. Before we get to that, I, I want to make one other note uh, on, on these goals. We talked about spiritual. Spiritual goals are good for everybody. Um, all these other things. With it being about becoming a certain kind of person, with it being about setting an example for others about, you know, living a self-disciplined life and all that. We also talked about the the jokes that we have, you know, oh man, I watch so much Netflix. Oh man, you know, I, I 
gave up my Bible reading again when I got to Leviticus. You know, those, those jokes that kind of soften our mediocrity. One of those stereotype jokes is that ministers are out of shape. And that's yeah. not, uh, that exists for a reason, I guess I should say. Um, it's hard. I, you know, I've been working at it for years. I've done, you know, a, a lot better in recent times, but I've still got a long way to go. That should not be. Uh, I know it's it's hard because sometimes it's a desk job. There's a lot of sitting involved or whatever else. This stuff matters. We, we really discount the outward. And so if you're a minister listening to this, if this is something that, that has been a struggle of yours, Take this seriously. Uh, you know, it, it it speaks. There there is an aesthetic behind the words that we say. Is you know, if we have zero self discipline in our life, and we're always posting on Facebook about how much we love Chick Fil A and all this stuff, and and you know, then we're getting up and preaching a sermon on self discipline. It doesn't fit. And, and so part of this is the being example to others of 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 showing a better way, of showing God's way of doing things and, and how we're to live and, and things like that. And so um, bringing self-discipline into the Christian life is important, and especially if, if we are those who purport to lead. And, Jack, that, that was exactly the point that I was going to make when, when you bring up the, you know, the kind of stereotype that, that ministers are out of shape is that it's it, – we negate our own preaching, right? Right. We, we negate our own words when we get up there and talk about self-control being a fruit of the spirit or the fact that we need to have self-discipline with the shows that we watch, the music we listen to, the, the, uh, the words that we say, whatever it is. And yet we can't show self-discipline when it comes to exercising and eating, right? It completely negates the things that, and you might say, well, that's not as important. And you're right. Obviously spiritual self-discipline is far more important, but if you've got somebody that doesn't understand self-control and self-discipline in your own life, or you're, you're outside of spiritual life, again, these are parallels. How does that relate to your spiritual life? If you can't pra uh, practice self-discipline in your personal life, in your secular life, odds are you're probably not going to be great at it in your spiritual life either. And, and so that's a, that's a great point when it comes to especially those of us who are you know, taking an active role, maybe that's your job, your career as a minister, these things reflect. People are looking up to you. As, as you said, Jack, it's an aesthetic uh, thing that we do have to recognize that, that is a reality of the culture that we live in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just human nature. And uh, you think about that, you know, when you see, you know, certain faiths, uh, you know, whether ones that, that I'm not saying I agree with them, but the Amish or the Mormons, and you see their families and you see them all well-kept and, and modestly dressed and all that, it speaks well to their belief system. If, if we're just entirely slovenly, that doesn't speak well, you know, to, to who we purport to be, the God we purport to serve, and all those things. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that is a valid thing. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where we might try and discount it. It might sound harsh. As I said, I, I'm somebody who's working on it myself. It does matter, though, and it, it needs to be taken seriously on that sense. So let's get back to the first point uh, Joe introduced a bit ago which is the idea of accountability, of sharing in these things with others, of really getting with people who are going to help us grow in this direction. Um, we've got Proverbs 27, 17, as one man, or iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Um, there's, there's two sides of that. One, getting ourselves around people who sharpen our iron. You know, and as we've talked about, we have our group of, of we're trying to strengthen each other. We're trying to push each other toward growth, toward being better husbands, being better fathers, being better ministers, all the different things that we do to sharpen each other. And so it's finding people who will help you grow. The other thing is being the kind of person who sharpens somebody else. Not always being the one in need, but also being somebody to help somebody else, to give somebody else an example, to bring somebody else along. Um, when we have all these jokes about mediocrity and all that, one of the things is, number one, we're not going to sharpen anybody. But number two, it's very easy that I can give you an excuse to be mediocre and you can give me an excuse to be mediocre. If you're not trying and I'm not trying, we can look at each other and go, ah, eh, we're doing pretty good, you know, like. But when when we start pushing, when we start trying to grow, when we start looking at our life and saying, you know what, I can really be stronger in my walk with the Lord and, and you can too. Let's do this together. You know, I can I can really start directing and guiding my life in a better way than I have been, let's do that. Um, and, and so uh, the other one I had uh, to, to get to is Hebrews 10, 24, of considering one another, stirring one another up to love and good works. Um, to be somebody who sharpens iron, we've got to be striving for that ourselves. And so starting with ourselves, finding the people around us, 
building towards that uh, with with those that surround us. Two two things on that real quick, and then Joe, I'll let you jump in. Um, and since speaking from a personal perspective, I don't know what you two think. I know that since we have been doing this as a group now, like I said, for about two years or so, I know from personal experience that if I didn't have you guys to jump on the call with to that, that are holding me accountable, it would have been a whole lot easier to say, you know what, just forget it. You know, these, these things that are hard, these things that are difficult, just forget it. But it's a lot, again, it's, it's a lot harder to do that when you have somebody or multiple people that are holding you accountable. Right. And so that would be an, an encouragement that I know all of us have kind of, we, we've been hitting on this point, the fact that find somebody, whether it be your spouse, whether it be a, a close friend from church, whether it be um, whoever it is, an extended family member that, that you two can work together and, and iron sharpening iron, holding each other accountable to the point where if you're midweek and you really need somebody to encourage you and motivate you, call them up, right? Have somebody that's checking in on you and you check in on somebody else. The other note that I would add to, to Jack's, your point about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we always tend to focus on verse 25, right? The not forsaking the assembly. That's where everybody kind of zooms in. And really we pull that out of context far too often. Verse 24 you know, to me really sets up verse 25. Right. What What is the reason why we should not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? It's so that we don't miss out on stirring up each other in love and good works, right? If we're not assembling together, we're not going to have the ability at least as effectively to stir up love and good works, right? And I think that is, is so important when it comes to obviously spiritually speaking, the fact that we need to be exhorting each other, encouraging each other, stirring each other up, motivating each other. I mean, after all, why did God create the church, right? If, if everybody was just having an individual battle, an individual path to, to Christ where nobody else could influence us, why would we need the church? But one of the beautiful designs of the church is that we're there to help each other along the way. When one of us is down, we pick each other up and, and we're, we're striving together to, to obtain the prize, right? We're striving together to, to be the body of Christ and to walk the narrow way. Another issue you're going to run into is having to show weakness to another brother. We don't like doing it. We don't want to share our struggles with each other. We want to put on these good fronts of I've got my life put together, right? And in reality, we certainly don't have our life put together, um, but we want to present that to others. In getting accountable and in setting up goals, yes, you're going to have to say, brother, I struggle with this and I need this. And hopefully you have some good friends at your church or whatever else. What I would say is, is you alluded to, Will, um, in a marriage, there ought to be goals set. What are we striving for? What are we looking for? Uh, we're not trying to be, uh, again, a logistical marriage. We want to be much more than just, you know, did we go here, there, do this or that. Um, set some goals in your marriage and have that. But for our individual goals, I would encourage guys to be with other guys, right? To, to get in a group with like-minded, believing guys that, that, will spur you on to being better, right? And specifically being better for God and being better for your family and, and who has similar beliefs um, and who's going to hold you accountable. And for women, I would say do the same. I would get other women because the struggles that, and, and the, even with the goals that you set are going to be different. The goals guys set are going to be different than the goals that women set. Um, and a guy may look at a woman's goal and go, well, that's really weird, you know, or whatever else. We don't want that. Uh, women, I would say, get in an accountability group with, with a fellow women from your church and talk about it. The other thing, and Will alluded to this, um, there have been multiple times where one of us will just be guys struggling today, don't want to work out. What we've been doing recently, um, you know, I'm working on working out. I, as, as with you, it's less about getting jacked right now, more about just get in the habit of doing it. And there's been multiple days where it's just, I don't have it today, guys. And you have texted me, both of you have texted me, be like, you're going to feel better if you do. You got this, you know. Next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm going to do it because they pushed me. I know I got to, you know, I'm going to be meeting with them on Monday and going to have to tell them whether I did or did not, or they're going to be asking first thing in the morning. And so I did. Um, that's the power of accountability is being able to reach out and say, man, I'm struggling. I don't want to do it today. So it's two-sided. You got to be one willing to encourage and to spur on. And, and even a little healthy competition is okay. Not too much. You know, it's not about boasting, but a little healthy competition on the other end you got to be willing to show your weakness. you got to be willing to say, I don't want to do it today. I'm struggling. I've been falling short. I, I haven't done X, Y, or Z, whether this be an accountability group over certain sins you're struggling with, over you know, you not hitting your health goals, your Bible study goals, you as a father or as a, as a husband. Um, guys, 
speaking to all men out there, to all guys, um, put your pride aside. Okay. This speaks to me just as much. Put your pride aside and recognize that we are not perfect and we have to stop projecting that we have it together. You don't, I don't. And let's embrace the fact that, you know what, we don't have it together. It's not the point that whether we do or do not, it's we're moving toward a place where we do have it together. That's what's important. And that's how we spur one another on, but it starts with recognizing our own weaknesses and being willing to tell others about it in our pursuit of being better. I think on this matter of weakness, this speaks to something we haven't spoken of as much. A lot of the goals we've been talking about have been positive goals, Bible reading, prayer, um, uh, you know, physical, financial, whatever else. Um, negative accountability, removing things from our lives, you know, can be something that, that we lean on each other as well. Uh, we've, we've done a podcast before. We've written uh, before. Joe's got a lot of material on uh, pornography addiction. You're not overcoming it without the help of others. Not at all. Um, Not at all. But but even other things like that, you know, of you can say, man, I, I really struggle with gossip, or I really struggle with anger and bitterness, or I really struggle. Those kinds of things is why, as as Will said, God placed people around us in our church family. Um, I really believe confession is the biggest superpower, supercharge for a spiritual life that no that, that we almost never use. You know, the Catholics and others have the confession box where you go to one man and you tell him your sins. And it's a terrible system because that's not what one another means is confess it to one guy. On the other hand, but at least they do it. At least they do something. At least they're confessing. Right? Yeah. And, and so that can be a part of, of your accountability as well of removing weaknesses, removing struggles, help having others help bear your burden and then positive things that you can do as well. And so the, the ability to share in these things together we're not on an island. We're, we, we need to be growing in these ways uh, ourselves. You know, uh, without getting into too much current events or, or, or whatever else, it doesn't take a, a psychic to know we got some tough times ahead. Uh, economically, the world, you know, it, it, things are just not going in a great direction right now. Uh, one of the most important things to have in times like this is people around you who you can lean on, people who when, when you're you're pessimistic, you're you're down, you're you're worried, whatever else, people who can pray with you, people who can keep you going. As you said, Joe, some days it's just really hard to do the good things you know you're supposed to do, having people who can push you. Because one of the other things with the mediocrity thing, and this is why as as you said, it's good to set goals with your wife, sometimes your wife is gonna be too nice. You know, some days where I'm like, man, I'm really tired. I don't want to do X, Y, or Z. She's like, oh, you've had a long day. It's okay because she's a nurturing, <laughs> motherly figure, you know. To that, And also that... because she would rather just watch TV with you. I mean, that's my wife. You know? <laughs> right. I'm going to go out so, and run. She's like, oh, you don't have to. Right. Yeah, I get you. Right. And just kind of the, that instinct that, that she has, which is a great instinct. That's, you know, a wonderful thing that she has. It doesn't help me much. And so to have other people who, like, you know, or I can tell you guys, okay, man, this really stinks. I don't want to do this. You're going to do it, you know? And so having both in your life is great. Having people who will comfort you and, and, you know, give you a pat on the back. Cool. Having people who give you a kick in the rear end also cool. And so it, it's to, to kind of circle around to our, our main theme as, as we start to wrap up, it's a new year, whether that day on the calendar means anything to you or not. Um, January, 2022, um, it is a marker. It's one that we all observe. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. It was 2021, and now it's 2022. Um, use it. Use it as a turning of the page. Use it as a measuring stick. As we said, you can look back to last year. Am I stronger in my prayer life? Am I walk with God? Am I still struggling with the same sins? Am I still beset with these entangling things, as Hebrews 12 says, uh, that, are, that are slowing me down in my race toward Christ? How can I get rid of them? You know, have I have I grown? Do I need to get in better health? That's one of the the underreported things of the whole uh, COVID thing. The better health you're in, generally speaking, there's always exceptions. Generally speaking, the better you handle COVID. That should be one of the first things that we try to do is say, you know what, with this virus going around, I'm going to try and get myself in, into a better place in case uh, you know I happen to catch it or or you know, whatever else. And so there's motivation there and, and looking back. And these are all measurable things. And when you have a date that marks it, it gets easier to measure. It's not just a while ago versus today. It's last year. There's going to be a January 1st, 2023, Lord willing. What am I going to be like then? Will I have grown? Do I, Who do I want to be then? And how can I start becoming that person? And, and with these things in mind, it really drives us to start looking for ways to do it. 
Well, and that speaks to your point earlier, Jack, about stacking goals. The, right. the fact that you don't yeah. you don't have to start with with six goals January first, but start with one. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're somebody who is listening to this and and you really haven't done anything over the last year or two to try to improve yourself, you're just kind of coasting, just kind of going along with life as it is. Then start at ground zero, right? Start with an a a goal to where you're going to spend twenty to thirty minutes doing X Y Z, Bible study, prayer, exercise, whatever it is. Start there, and then maybe at the six month mark of this year. Um, if you feel like you've really started to develop the habit, you've really started to to get in a groove with that, then add something else and continue. And so that by the time the year's over, you look back and you say, these things are now, you know, not that you've ever mastered it, as we've said, but that you've gotten a lot better at it. Right. And and that's to me such an important aspect that we've learned is the sense that start with something perfected in the sense that you get, you develop it as a habit, as a routine, and then add something else so that when you look back on your past year, you look back on your past two years, you can really see progress, right? You can really see growth, whether that be in exercise, finance, um, personal development, reading, or whether that be in your Bible reading, your prayer life, your, your service to others, your evangelism, whatever it may be. I think starting with the one is, is good. Um, Also, if you're listening to this and as Will mentioned, if you, if it's been a year or two, Look, COVID has been tough on everybody. Um, we have never more wanted to stay inside a Netflix binge um, than when you're quarantined and told you have to, right? So um, you're not alone, okay? You're not alone if you've been, really been struggling in your goals. But, man, we've been called to be more. We've been called to be better. We can be better. And and that's part of the reason to do it is you can, right? If you can do it, you probably should. Um, two books I'd suggest. Uh, everybody knows these. I think the power of habit is a great one. And then um, another one is Atomic Habits. I think James Clear is the is the author of Atomic Habits. Those are great. That's the idea of stacking. He's big on stacking goals. That's what made me think of it. Um, but those are two real good ones if you're really interested in the science behind it and such. But um, I yeah, would add, I, uh, Your Future Self Will Thank You by Drew Dick. It comes at it from a spiritual uh, mindset as well. Um, just kind of a, a general self-control uh self-discipline growth book. Uh, so recommend that one. Uh, and, and one final thing that I, I just want to make the point of is the role of joy in all of this. As Christians, we live joyful lives. We're not put upon people. We're not, you know, down people. We're not, we're not, you know, heavily burdened people. We should be having joy. And part of that joy is joyfully growing, joyfully making the most of our days, joyfully using what God has given us to his glory and and kind of reveling, uh, wallowing in mediocrity is is the opposite of that. And so we're showing the world the joy of of the Christian life. So we're gonna wrap with uh, with two quick things. Uh, first of all, uh, we're gonna share one goal that you guys are gonna have uh, for 2022, and then afterwards I'm gonna spring a segment on you, which will be a regular feature, and you're gonna have to think on the spot. So uh, one goal first. Uh, go ahead, Will. Okay. Uh, one goal for the, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to, I'm going to actually give two uh, because one, I, I started last year, but I'm going to keep it up and kind of make it my central focus for at least the first six months. And then that is the one that I already mentioned. That is 30 minutes of exercise um, six days a week. Again, 30 minutes is not that much time. Um, if, if I can't set aside 30 minutes of my day for, for something like that, then, then that's probably not a good thing. So that's, that's one that I'm going to really focus on for the first, like I said, several months of the year. The other one, and this is kind of just for fun. And uh, this will, I don't know if my wife will, will listen to this or not, but if, if she does, it'll be a surprise to her because I haven't even mentioned it to her yet. Um, you two know me and anybody who knows me that's listening knows that I can barely cook a grilled cheese, right? I, I am not <laughs> talented when it comes to being in the kitchen. I can, I can bake some cookies and cookie dough as, as Jack and Joe. I mean, true. That's true. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, when it, you get past that, you get past frozen pizza and, and toast I'm not very uh, proficient in the kitchen. So I would love, and again, this is just something kind of for fun. I would love as the year goes on to start setting aside meals throughout the week that I can learn how to cook, whether it be YouTube, whether it be my wife, who's an excellent cook. Again, hope she's listening. Brownie points would be great. Um, My wife, who is an excellent cook, can can show me some things because, again, that's just an area of my life that I am not very talented at and one that I'd love to get better at. Uh, get better in so uh later on in the year hopefully that'll be something that i can start working on you could get, then you'll literal, get literal brownie points brownie points <laughs> bingo nice <laughs> nice all right joe one nice. for you. all right um 
I'm probably, I'm with Will. I'm going to stick with the one I'm on, which is just exercise, exercise every day. Um, I haven't set the 30 minutes. It's probably a good thing to hit right now. Uh, coming off of two back surgeries last year. Um, I'm still, I'm hearing excuses. Take, bingo. Bingo. I was hoping it was a good enough one. We call um, it pulling no. a Joe. Don't yeah. we Jack? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I'm going to stick with that one and I want to work up to where it's 30 minutes and then hopefully maybe an hour. Um, by the end of the year, but just gradually grow, but still hit that one. And the other one is going to be more on the spiritual end, which is my prayer life this year has just not been fantastic. Um, say the regular ones, but in terms of, you know, sitting down, getting on your knees and, and praying for 20, 30 minutes at a time, something I really want to do. So that's a big one. I'm hoping to do, um, continue with the one I've already started and just build on that one. And then also the prayer one. And I try to have the two, like you mentioned, try to have a, a spiritual one and then the other one. And if I can, this will be the, maybe the last half of the year. Like we'll talk about first six months, really get into the working out. But I want to be a morning person so bad. Um, so maybe the last half of the year I might work on truly waking up at like six o'clock every single day. And you guys know how pitiful for I am our, at that. For, so. our, for our audience, <laughs> full disclosure, Joe has been working on this for two years. Yeah. And, uh... I'm horrible at it. <laughs> stay up till 3 a.m. No problem. Wake up at 6 a.m. And that's probably the issue is I stay up till 3 yeah. a.m. And then I wake. Thanks a lot. Here's your sign. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be last half of the year, I think. But I really do want to get into the good working out habits and uh, good prayer life is a big one. Jack. Uh, mine is going to be kind of the Daniel plan, uh, three prayers a day. Uh, you know, prayer, as you said, it's it's a it's a challenge, especially not being a morning person myself, of getting up, taking the time to pray, and getting the day going. I always get prayer in somewhere, but I really think what you see from Daniel is a really good example. You know, as a very faithful man, very highly regarded man uh, in the scriptures, once uh, in the morning, once midday, once at night. Um, that way you can get to more things. You know, maybe you don't have time all at once to get to everything. You can set aside a prayer for this, a prayer for that, a prayer for another thing, whatever it may be. Uh, and so that's going to be mine. Uh, all right. You're also going vegetarian, right? For the for the Daniel plan. Not that. Not that. that Daniel plan. <laughs> uh, not gonna happen. Um, real quick, real quick, Jack, because I, I just realized I'm completely the loser that didn't even mention the spiritual goal that I'm working on. Even, <laughs> yeah, even definitely. Even, even after we uh, said, even. make sure you have a spiritual goal. No, I do have one, and it's one that I'm continuing to work on, but I just realized I didn't mention it. And that is um, spending my mornings in Bible study, at mm -hmm. least a portion of my mornings. Joe just talked about the value of being a morning person. It's not for everybody. I certainly would not qualify myself as a morning person, but there's something about starting your day in God's word. There's mm -hmm. something about yeah. um, whether it be day. 10 minutes, you're right, or whether it be 45 minutes or an hour that you're spending. That That is my goal that that I'm not starting. I've already started it, but I, I definitely would not say that I've mastered it that I'm working on. And that is just spending a portion of my morning just before lunch in God's word. So I, again, which one didn't want to be the total loser that forgot to bring that up. So, <laughs> All right. Um, so, for our last thing, as I said, this will be a regular segment, uh, two minutes, so really keep it to two minutes. That's hard when you're telling preachers that. Uh, tell us some scriptural insight from something you've been preaching, something you've been teaching, studying with somebody else. Um, two minutes. Go ahead. Joe, you're up. All right. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, no, I did a Debo on this last night, actually. So I've been reading through Ezekiel, and um, I made a little three-point. I should have saved it for a sermon like an idiot. Um, I go ahead, or I went ahead and used it for a Debo, but... Um, a few things just at the, at the beginning of Ezekiel, first thing you see is basically a throne scene. Um, and what I pointed out is God is not like us from the very beginning of Ezekiel. He sets apart his holiness and how set apart he is from us, from the creatures, from the, the spinning wheels, from everything else. It is unlike anything we can even begin to fathom. Um, God is not like us. Then you get toward the end of chapter one into chapter two, and it's the call for Ezekiel. Ezekiel hits the ground at the end of chapter one. That is the only way we should approach God is with complete and utter reverence. But then God, just like in Isaiah 6, he calls Ezekiel to something better. And so he turns it on its head of, yes, I'm holy and you're not, but now I'm calling you to a holy calling, right, to do something for me. And so, you know, that's, that's the other point I made is with our Christianity, we are being sanctified and being made holy, but we have been justified and God is calling us to that. Um and then I also mentioned he makes Ezekiel do some truly bizarre things, mm -hmm. um, sleeping on his or laying down on his left side for like 390 days and then another for like 40 days. And then um, doing the little uh, 
siege scene where he sets up a brick and that's to represent Jerusalem. And then he's got to cook over human dung, but then he petitions God and is like, no, God's like, okay, you can just do it over animal dung, which is still unclean. And so um, just eating the scroll, right? There's some real weird things. And the point I made about it is God in us being holy and calling others to be holy our life probably shouldn't be easy. We will be called to do things we're not comfortable doing. And Ezekiel did them because we're talking about God here. And if you recognize the very beginning of the jab, of the book, if you solidly get that point that God is holy and we're calling unto him, then you'll be willing to do anything. So that's kind of where I was at. How do you do on the two minutes thing, Jack? Right at. You see if you can do it yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm going to start a stopwatch. So anyway, um, one of the things that I've been doing with our young people and, and uh, we kind of actually spent a whole month as a congregation here at Decatur on is the book of Acts. So we've been studying through that quite a bit. And one of the things that I observed that I really hadn't thought of before, before I actually sat down and study is just how much of an emphasis throughout, especially the early portion of Acts is placed on the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Acts 2.38, the verse that we all know, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And Acts chapter three, when Peter he- heals the, the lame man, you know, he tells him in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, rise up and walk. And then when he's, when they're before the Sanhedrin, they say by Jesus's name, you know, this is something that we're doing. And then, so it got me thinking, and for those, if anybody's listening from Decatur, you know, this is a sermon that I preached a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, I guess it has been now um, where you look at what does the name of Jesus Christ really represent? And, and, and you know, back then the reason for the emphasis behind the name of Jesus uh, for Peter and his audience was that they didn't believe in Jesus, right? They believed in God. They believed in the scriptures. You know, they were moral and ethical people being Jews for the most part, but they didn't believe in the name of Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so that's why Acts chapter four, verse 12 is the the you know famous verse where Peter says, nor is there salvation in any other, right? There's no other name that is given under heaven, given among men by which he must be saved. And right, he's talking to the Jews there, talking to the Jewish Sanhedrin who would not have believed that. And so that got me thinking, you know, obviously that was for the Jews. What about for us? What are some of the things that the name of Jesus uh, represents? Why is it such a big deal? And then some of the things that, that I preached on and that we've got that we've covered uh, here at Decatur is that, first of all, obviously, verse 12 of Acts 4, it represents salvation. There is no other name that, that salvation can be achieved under. Uh, you go a few chapters later to Acts chapter 5. The name of Jesus also represents persecution, right? If, if you look at Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 40, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And so that's another thing that we, that the name of Jesus represents is persecution. And the uh, third and final one is it represents our vocation. It represents our commission. The idea that we actually have a responsibility to live as Christians and to spread the gospel. So that's the quick, probably two and a half minute version at this point, but that's the quick version. All right, cool stuff. Uh, mine, I've I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark on and off for over a year now, uh, kind of month on, month off kind of thing. And Mark 8 through 10 is kind of the hinge of Mark. Mark has established who Jesus is with all the miracles, the demons, the walking on water, feeding 5,000 and all that. Uh, Mark 8 through 10 is where Jesus starts telling the apostles, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to hand me over, they're going to betray me, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. He tells them that in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. And, of course, you can see them not getting it. It is right after Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, makes the great confession, that Jesus says, okay, and I'm going to go die. And Peter says, oh, we're not going to let that happen. Thus, the get behind me, Satan. Um, And that's where Jesus says, you're going to have to take up your cross. And so in those chapters, you have different ways we're going to have to take up our cross. You have, um, you know, their pride. They keep going over, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Jesus says, no, you got to be the last of all if you're going to be the greatest. you got to be the servant of all. You've got the, the text on uh, divorce and remarriage of, you know, your, your marriage, your relationship is subject to Jesus Christ. Um, you have the rich young ruler. Your money is subject to Jesus Christ. Taking up your cross is about putting all of your life under his lordship and accepting him as king. But the really cool part, the bookends that you have at chapter 8, right before all that starts, and chapter 10, right as it ends, and it transitions to Jesus going into Jerusalem in chapter 11. In chapter 8, Jesus heals the blind man, and it's the one where he spits, you know, puts spit on his eyes, and he sees blurry, and then he sees fully. The one at the end, Jesus says, all right, you regained your sight, your faith has made you well. Why did it take Jesus two tries with the first one? Well, it's not that he wasn't powerful enough. I think it's a literary metaphor because right at, right before that, Jesus had asked the apostles, 
having you know eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear do you not get who i am do you not get what's going on they saw partially which was peter's confession hey you're the, the son of the living god they didn't get fully what that meant which is that he is lord he is going to suffer he is going to die and that following him means dying yourself as well it's really cool the way that that chapter uh, 8 9 through 10 8 9 10 that's sets incredible up. it's really Interesting. cool so that's, that's my insight. Uh, we'll, we'll do that as kind of our closing segment every time, two minutes on some scriptural insight you've been studying. So next time you'll be more prepared, fellas. Um, <laughs> so that's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure uh, you're subscribed to get the latest episodes each week. Uh, also leave us a review if uh, you've enjoyed it, and especially pass it on to friends and family who might get something out of the show as well. We'll be back next week with a talk on uh, the Generation War, both in culture and in the church. So be sure to join us next time on Think Deeper.